Okay, Kate, I have a really fun question for you this mm-hmm. week. Mm-hmm. Do you remember your scariest movie theater experience, watching a movie in theaters and being just genuinely frightened? I feel like we talked about this like two weeks ago because yours was Large Marge. Uh, well, that was a, just a movie moment okay. that really scared me. And that's when I was a little boy. That was on video. Okay. I want mine, a movie theater experience. Mine is the same uh, movie and movie theater. And it was when I saw Mars Attacks when I was too young to find the funny in it. It just didn't. So it, it is. It's it's just Mars Attack. That is fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about it in regards to this episode. Uh-huh. You know, and I have some I have some fun things to say about this episode and about the crawling eye and uh-huh. that sort of movie theater chica- chicanery. Yeah. So what's yours? <laughs> uh, two. Two that I okay. vividly remember. The first one I think you'll really appreciate was I saw Scream, I believe maybe mm-hmm. two days after it came out. And it was before... Same year as Mars Attacks, if I recall correctly. I believe it was, yes. Yeah. Or I think it was the year before Mars Attacks. Well, and... now I'm going to look it up because Mars Attacks was the same time as Space Jam. And I believe Space Jam was the same time as Scream. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I, I know Mars Attacks and Space Jam were at the same same. Few Mar- right. So months. Mars Attacks was 96. Yeah, Scream, was, I believe, was 96. Scream was 95. Oh, God. There's so many fucking Screams. 96. There... Oh, my bad. Okay, so it was the same year. Yep. So we didn't know really anything about the movie. It was the advertising for it was uh, just focused on Drew Barrymore, and that was kind of yeah. it. And my mom and I went to go see it together right after it opened because it was a Wes Craven film, and we loved Wes Craven. So we thought it would be fun, and, and we liked Nev Campbell and everything. And mm-hmm. the moment is so wonderfully shocking and scary when Ghostface turns around and when his face is in the window. So that is definitely one of the moments that I really remember being genuinely surprised and frightened at a movie theater. Mm -hmm. And then the other one is recent. It is the 2017 version of It, It Chapter One. Mm-hmm. And the really effective, gruesome scene where the little boy is pulled through the sewer grate at the beginning. And I saw that movie actually with my mother again. We were in LA on a really fun visit to LA together, which was very special. And we saw the movie at the Arc Light, at the Arc Light mm-hmm. Dome on the on a very big, wonderful screen. And sitting next to me was one of my favorite movie directors. Uh, Richard Elfman, who is Danny Elfman's brother, uh-huh. and who directed this mo- crazy movie that made a big impact on me as a teenager called Forbidden Zone, uh, which is basically a, a weird Oingo Boingo surrealist, like bizarro B movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right after the little boy was sucked through the grate, Richard Elfman turned to his wife, Anastasia, and went, wow this is really scary. <laughs> and I just, it just left such an impression on me. Cause I was like, Oh, 
this man who's had such an influence on me is being just as scared as I am. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, those are my two. I think they're both kind of fun anecdotes. <laughs> they are. Thank you for your support. Yeah, no problem. Roll the theme song. <laughs> and gals and welcome to another episode of XO Riverdale. I'm Louie Perlman. I'm Kate Matter. And this is your favorite Riverdale fan podcast hosted by two funny adults. It's also like one of the only Riverdale fan podcasts that still exists. Today we're going to be focusing on chapter 126, Betty and Veronica, double digest. But before we get into it, any any fan stuff? I, I didn't notice anything this week. Nothing. No, nothing. Nope. Okay, that's fine. So we'll just get right into it. We'll just talk about this episode. First of all, did you enjoy this one? I feel like I did, but I also, full disclosure, wasn't paying as much attention as I knew I should have. Like halfway through, I was like, ooh, should I start over? And then didn't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I only have five lines of notes on this one. Oh, great well i have some stuff to talk about so it's okay Good. i'll just talk at you the way that dr werther's talked at betty the first thing i wrote was dr werther's equals perv dr werther's more like dr pervers yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely mm -hmm. and yeah of course a lot of these older you know guys that were pretending to be, you know, the the innocence of children, blah, blah, blah. They were just suppressing their own urges. That's always mm -hmm. the case. So I thought that was an insightful move for the writers to make in terms of his character development there. Yeah, absolutely. He's gross. Um, Want to say a few little, th you know, I'm just going to sort of go through my notes here and we can talk about it. Mm -hmm. Love the use of the song lollipop yeah the former ringtone of the black hood yes which we haven't heard in several seasons and here yeah. it is being used in a montage very fun sexual way sexy way mm -hmm. which is great and this whole maybe this has to do with when i grew up or uh you know stuff just sort of around the my own like sort of sexuality and the way that i you know gravitate towards certain things i'm finding all this sexual repression very steamy it's fun it feels like for so long all the sexual tension on the show has been like really aggressive and like because they think we want to see hot steamy teens and this is the first time i feel like it almost serves a purpose and it doesn't really serve a purpose but they're having like more fun with it well it does serve a purpose because it it does give agency to Betty's character to give us this peek into her into her Thank her you. desires. Yeah. Because, you know, that's that is something that makes her a richer character actually, which is kind of what they're exploring this season, you know, mm -hmm. with her. So it's good. Like and like yeah. we can still have fun as the watcher watching mm -hmm. everybody make out with Betty. Yep. It also makes Betty canonically bisexual. Mm -hmm. which is great and yep. really nice and 
sort of brings some wonderful issues that Lily Reinhardt has brought up the last few years in interviews into the show in a way that makes a lot of sense and is very organic. Mm -hmm. So that's great. You know, love it. And, you know, also, seriously, I've said it before, I'll say it again, the Betty Veronica Archie love triangle, mm -hmm. really, they should just dump Archie in the dust and the two of them would be a very nice, happy couple together, I feel. Yeah, they would be. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. Great scene, I thought, with Veronica and Cheryl trading barbs at each other about, like, their affinity for James Dean when she was giving out the the tickets. It was, the delivery was really nice and up, and it was just really good catty dialogue, which is, like, mm -hmm. what I love from the show. And sometimes we don't often see the two of them together doing that, and they're both so good at it, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, let's get into a qualm I have. Uh-huh. Overexposed print. Uh-huh. This doesn't really happen. <laughs> this wasn't really a thing. Yeah. All prints for movies, even at the time in the 50s, were struck the same way, from the same negative. And there's a lot of quality control. And I guess in order to make this plot point work, I'm like literally just going through it in my head. Mm-hmm. Veronica's parents would have had to have broken into the distribution, like, warehouse for the, for the prints, find the print that is going to the Orpheum, or sorry, to the, the, the Palladium, mm -hmm. and, like, run it through some, like, bad development chemicals. Yeah. Yeah, it's... like, bleach it or something. I don't know. Yeah. I think that, like, if you don't know anything about it it feels like you know when you had your little disposable camera as a kid you could accidentally over develop like expose us to the light and then that was like it and it feels like they were like oh so it's like the same with film but uh it it really is kind of isn't um no it is not it is not and we know that because you know we're still finding more footage of metropolis and if being exposed to light could fuck it up we uh, would not have a six-hour film. It would still only be an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> not that I've had to been like forced to watch it since I graduated college, but I feel like I had to watch Metropolis so much that like I can't possibly watch Metropolis again. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's certain movies that are like these film school staples that I kind of feel some professors use almost like how teachers in like you know like junior high would like put on a movie because they didn't want to work it, like we're yeah. gonna watch through all of like the ten commandments and that's gonna be like a unit i like, feel like i like anytime i've talked to someone they've been like oh yeah i have like a degree in film and then they like haven't seen metropolis and i'm like do you know <laughs> like, yeah like I, I had to watch it once a year at least yeah like, I, I don't know I only had to watch Metropolis once in film school and I have a real affinity for Metropolis because it wasn't overexposed to me, but do you know what was for me? And I think is highly overrated because of this uh -huh. Blade Runner. Wow. Way too much discourse in high school, in film school, like two times in film school, 
Blade Runner, Blade Runner, Blade Runner, Blade Runner. And you know what? Interesting. Don't really give a fuck about Blade Runner. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, Riverdale fans. A lot of Metropolis. And then one year, so I was in college when Avatar came out. Oh, I'm so sorry. they They, like had like a relationship with the studio at the school so they kept like doing all these screenings so like it was never in class it was always like extra credit things and so to date i have not seen avatar and i know so much about it and it just like at the time it was like almost proving a point and now it's just like that's just not my type of movie like i don't think i would enjoy it whether that i was forced to talk about all the time or not which is like why i haven't seen it yeah but it i feel like metropolis 2 was like between my freshman and sophomore year, they found more of it. Oh, so they made you watch it like, again. Like, every 10 years, they find, like, a little bit more. Yeah, they were like, oh, my God, there's more of the robot. <laughs> and, like, one time, like, there was only one class where I was like, this makes sense that this is the movie we're really focusing on. And we didn't, like, super focus on it. It was a film music class. It was what we used for the, like, original It was original a film score. music class? It was and, a film music class. And they focused on the original score of Metropolis? The original score, yes. Not the, not yeah, the borrowed not, score. Not but, the Queen uh, score. Yeah, not the... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not that, but, like, we did movies with, like, borrowed scores and stuff. But um, sure. it that was just, like, the very first one we watched. And then it ended with No Country for Old Men, which is fun because there's no score. That's right. Yeah, And yeah, also yeah. because it was the end of class, so all the bonus questions in the final are about it. And those were like the only questions I was confident about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. But that was like, out of all the times I watched Metropolis, that felt like the only time where I was like, this makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah one more point on Metropolis, <laughs> yeah. and then we'll move on with this episode, is just that the version of Metropolis that's existed for such a long time mm-hmm. made a perfect amount of sense. It was not a confusing film because there were parts that were omitted. So the fact that there is so much of it still out there, I don't really know what else we need to see. It's like, there's the whole prisoner zero or prisoner X. I forget what it is. Like we're introduced to a character. Like we have been for a really long time and then nothing comes with it. So it's clear that like that guy has like a whole storyline we haven't seen. He but has it an arc. That's interesting. But it doesn't contribute enough for us to be like, What's going on? Yeah, what's going on with Prisoner X? Yeah. Yeah. It's just like if going back to Scream, if Drew Barrymore were introduced and then the part where she was murdered was cut out. Yeah, we'd be a little bit like, what? We'd be like, did she live? <laughs> or yeah, wh- where's Drew? Did the guy get her? But like at the end of the film, like it's still, you don't really need that part. Yeah. It's just like a fun thing they did. <laughs> so, um, Metropolis, you know? <laughs> so, Getting back to the episode, I know I'm glad we talked about that because it does actually have to do a little bit with this episode. So then there's sort of this interesting plot that I do want to kind of reinforce something that they do here where Veronica is wrestling to get prints of different films to show at the Palladium. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this was how distributors worked in the 50s, there were a limited amount of prints struck, and there were mm-hmm. primary, uh, second, and secondary, and I believe tertiary markets. So mm-hmm. certain films wouldn't have gotten to smaller towns like Riverdale until like two, three years after their release, because they would be just making the circuit. So yeah. that that all makes sense and, and, and is really fun, and then allows 
this scene with Veronica on the phone doing movie biz talk, which I yeah. thought was really fun. Yeah. I think it's interesting to note too, the way this works is it's movies are still kind of like that, but like it's almost in reverse where like it used to be the smaller towns could get those like weird B movies because they weren't going to go to the bigger ones because people didn't want them. Whereas now it's like, if you want to see like a small art house movie, you do have to go to a major city where there's a million movie theaters to get that where there's, festivals and stuff that is true although there were a lot of low budget b and c style movies that even at the time you did have to go mainly to either la or new york to see and Mm -hmm. mainly new york and mainly that it was mainly on that grindhouse circuit Mm-hmm. And the sort of this idea that Veronica could make the Orpheum into like, well, you know, yes, she found a movie that appealed to her audience of teenagers. And those sorts of theaters would show just a wide variety of things. They'd show an A, an A feature and a B feature. And then the B feature would very much be something like Crawling Eye. So mm-hmm. it makes sense. But, like, if you wanted to just go and watch, you know, um, horror movies or, like, you know, sexy movies or kung fu movies, you you know, and just go spend the day doing that, you'd really have to go spend your time in these pretty decrepit, scary, kind of dangerous movie yeah. theaters <laughs> yeah, where, you know, you'd really have to watch yourself because, you know, people would get mugged in them and stuff. It was... You know, but that's what film film lovers used to do. The, the cinephiles, yeah, they used to they used to do that. Uh, I am glad they didn't go this way, but part of me thought that like Veronica was going to do something like release a bunch of roaches into the Orpheum. So that yeah, uh, what, but what this was better. <laughs> um, you know who was in this episode a lot, which is fine. Archie, yeah. Yeah, just in general, something about this episode, it really kept cutting back and forth between an A plot and a B plot. I would say that the A plot was Betty. The B Mm -hmm. plot was Veronica. It didn't didn't deal with C plots and D plots. And -hmm. despite the fact that it was one of those episodes that wasn't like, major things have now happened, it felt so much more robust just focusing mm-hmm. on those characters and on those relationships than a lot of these types of episodes do. That kudos to that. And I, I really yeah. like that it gave itself some space, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I want to address uh Hal and Alice sleeping in separate beds. Go for it, please. Uh it feels like that was a thing in the fifties because that's what we saw on TV in the fifties. But we saw that on TV in the 50s because of a bunch of, like, Hollywood codes. That wasn't true. No, that like, wasn't that a was... real thing. If you, if, if you saw people doing that IRL in the 50s, you'd be like, the fuck? <laughs> the fuck is going on? Uh, and it felt like Riverdale didn't realize that this is, like, a TV trope. No, no, no. Like, I think just... Riverdale was playing on the TV trope and showing that they're in a shit marriage, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It just, like... It feels right because I remember being a kid and watching like Nick at Night and then being like, it's kind of weird that my parent, my grandparents sleep in the same bed, huh? 
yeah, because yeah, yeah, when yeah. you're a kid, that's just like, well, that's from their time and they don't sleep. But like now, definitely, like, <laughs> it feels like they either needed to lean harder into it and like address it or just not do it. But it felt like someone didn't catch up on that not being a real thing and like put it in the episode. I, I don't I don't agree with that. I really do think they're playing on that. Uh, and they're I, I think they're playing on the dynamics of people who say certain things like what it makes me think of is definitely like there's i have friends who are coupled and like one of them has like sleep apnea so yeah. they sleep in separate rooms you know yeah, and like I, separate rooms. love yeah. each other very much but they snore they both totally snore. yeah yeah like like that <laughs> yeah. happens yeah but then there's other people that i feel have all these hoops uh uh that they jump through when they explain their like specifically their sleeping or or living arrangements uh, mm-hmm. and they're in a marriage and what it actually might mean is that their marriage might be unconventional but they're trying to pretend like it is conventional that's not even a judgment on whether they love each other or not like absolutely yeah. not but what i'm just saying is they're like oh yeah well he does this and i do that and it's because of this but it's like well actually it's because you have an unconventional marriage and that's yeah. okay you've worked it out for yourselves and I think that that's what's going on a little bit with Hal and Alice here is something is going on where Hal doesn't want to sleep in the same bed with her. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because he is exhibiting some signs of being a psycho killer. Qu'est-ce que c'est? Fa, 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 fa. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. I feel yeah. like it's, what it is to me too is that like when couples sleep in different rooms, I'm like, absolutely. The longer I go in life without being in like a serious long-term relationship, the more I'm like, that's the way to do it, man. Like, I don't need to hear you breathe. I don't need to hear you snore. I don't need to hear you guys out to go to bed. I love it. But to be in like the same bedroom in separate beds is like either she kicks or gets overheated or there is something weird. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that was what was hinted at with their relationship for the whole episode when uh, Hal came in and stopped Betty and Alice's conversation. That was a really indicative as to what's going on part of the episode, right? Would you agree with that? I don't remember that happening. but Oh, sure. okay. Well, <laughs> Betty says to Alice, Mom, I want to find a path forward for us where mm-hmm. we can have a good relationship and are you happy i'm trying to figure out if you're happy and alice is really just about to answer and then and then hal comes in and says you know betty how dare you question your mother like this she's all after all she sacrificed for you and and how special and important she is and betty says you know, you were listening to our conversation and Hal says, of course I was, it's my house. I'm allowed to. And that was great because yeah, like Hal as a 1950s man doesn't want Alice thinking about those questions. Am I actually mm-hmm. happy? He, why would he, you know? Yeah. And, and he's very upset by his, you know, self-sufficient autonomous daughter, mm-hmm. which leads to then Alice disowning Betty at the end of the episode and saying you can make your own damn breakfast which was wonderfully soap opery and i loved it yeah. it's great and i also thought it was interesting that it was a presbyterian priest because then they were talking about uh confession and exorcisms which are specifically catholic 
Oh, really? <laughs> I'm like fairly certain. I should, I need to like let me double check, but like I am fairly yeah, certain that Protestant exorcisms churches, don't happen in Catholicism. <laughs> they only happen in Catholicism. Oh, sorry. I mean, exorcisms don't happen in Presbyterianism. Yeah. Yeah, and I believe same for confession, but I'm less certain about that. Kate's looking it up, and I'm singing a song. I'm singing a song. Kate looks it up. Doobly doo, deebly dee. This is me scatting while Kate looks it up. Presbyterian exorcism, does it happen? Do we know? A Presbyterian exorcism, does it happen? Or is it just the show? Got an answer for us? Wow, this is like you're like deep diving. This isn't just I like a the Wikipedia. It took her a really long time to get to like a Wikipedia and not like sites to sign up for an exorcism. Oh, it seems like it is mainly Catholicism, and that or like the way it's used with like denom uh, den uh, demonic possession seems to be more Catholic and maybe Lutheran based here. Um. But Protestantism, which Presbyterian is, doesn't have it as much. But then there's like Pentecostalism, which is technically Protestantism. So I don't really want to like speak to that super hard and say that. But it is like whatever uh, waspy Presbyterian creature they would find in Riverdale is like not the exorcism Yeah, he wouldn't type. be like exorcism time. That's great. <laughs> yeah, let me yeah. look at confessional too. Because I think that like every time I start typing, I'm not sure I spell Presbyterian and every time I nail it. Uh oh, so proud of you. Hot brag. Hot brag. Um Okay. It is like a modern to have confessional and Presbyterian is kind of a modern reformed church yeah it's like uh heavy evangelical if they're gonna have it which again is not like waspy riverdale like what it, i mean presbyterianism is not the same as episcopalian but it is like similar to those like church of england vibes where yeah, everyone's yeah. just kind of like cool with it uh yeah, yeah and i i mean it's so i mean maybe alice found like a real like southern gospel guy but it, it just that's not like what that, that guy seemed like, like in of, his scene you know what i mean it seems like they just like didn't really know a lot about it which is like fine it's like when people say that they went to like episcopalian mass and you're like it's just not called mass that's like yeah. not what it is it's like a catholic thing but like no one's really mad about it yeah <laughs> um, so anyway let's talk about william castle for five hours okay so William Castle is was just like a wild, great, weird filmmaker in the 50s who basically created like early what I would call them is like carnival or theme park style attractions around his films. Mm -hmm. And this drove young people into his movies. He was very successful and his movies were pretty cheesy. So, they mention the Tingler, right? Mm -hmm. So this is th this was his most famous gimmick, and it went very well for him, where he implanted like three or four buzzers under the seats that would give people a little buzz or a little shock. 
Uh, and it happened during the tingler was a monster that would attach itself to your spine mm-hmm. and they <laughs> there's a scene in the movie where the actors of the movie turn out to the audience and break the fourth wall and say oh no the tingler is loose in your theater right now <laughs> just so fun uh-huh. <laughs> and then it would only shock like four people in the theater but mm-hmm people would think they were getting shocked. So it would be this psychological effect where they would be freaked out. I do believe also with the Tingler was the gimmick that they had a woman in a nurse's costume in case you fainted. And I, I, I don't think it was the Tingler. I think it was another movie, but they referenced this where you could buy a life insurance policy before you mm-hmm. went to go see the movie because the movie was so frightening that you might die. So those are a few of his gimmicks. Uh, another one that is great, I believe it was a movie called 13 Ghosts. There was a ghost viewer or a ghost remover. And when the ghost scenes would happen, you could either look through the viewer to see the ghosts, or if you were too scared, you could look through the viewer and it would remove the ghosts from the frame. <laughs> so that you wouldn't which is i mean i think that's pretty brilliant that's really really Mm -hmm. really fun and then the last one i want to bring up there was one where he rigged these like skeletons to fly over the audience during certain points of the movie so they'd whiz through the audience so he was he was great. He was a wonderful showman. It really actually kind of surprises me that there hasn't been a biopic made about him. It feels really rich. However, it feels like that's not what Los Spookies is, but it does feel like that's what Los Spookies is. I then I need to watch Los Spookies. I didn't You'd love realize, Los Spookies. I'm sure I would. You know, and a, and an old friend of mine actually is in Los Spookies quite a lot. Spike Einbinder. So mm-hmm. I should watch it. But there is a film from the 90s that is very inspired by William Castle that was made by Joe Dante, who's just like one of my fave directors. And the movie is called Matinee. It stars John Goodman as a William Castle type character. And I recommend it. If you thought this episode of Riverdale was fun, watch Matinee. Like, you'll really enjoy it. So liked how they were bringing this all up. Now, The Crawling Eye is a real film. Mm Mm-hmm. It is, unfortunately, it's from 1958. Oh. I know, but it's okay. I get it. Because it allowed us to have Reggie, Farm Reggie, and Archie in these great outfits. And that whole sequence was so fun. I mean, what a blast. It was really fun. Also, I don't believe The Crawling Eye was in 3D. But that's okay. The imagery of them all watching this movie in 3D was such a treat. So yeah, it was great. Uh, loved and then loved that Archie like walked off the job, but Reggie still wanted to do it. I like I like that Reggie's finding his like his performance side. I think that's great. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, one little thing, Betty calls Doctor Werther's, or yeah, Doctor Werther's Doctor Psycho. That's a Wonder Woman villain, quite famously. I think it was intentional. Uh, then she, do we, I mean, we just talked about William Castle, but do we need to talk about Lolita for as long as we talked about William Castle? I don't think we need to. Do we want to talk about Tracy True? Sure. Instead of Nancy Drew? Have we? 
we've addressed Nancy Drew directly before, I believe. Has haven't they talked about Nancy Drew on the show? Yeah, like I believe they Betty had like a Nancy Drew code book. So why they went with Tracy True suddenly? Is and then Nancy Drew for a little while was a Riverdale style show on the CW. Yeah, it didn't last for very long. Right. Um. Yeah. So tweet at us if we're mixing that up. But I do believe had, yeah. you're correct. I do believe she's talked about Nancy Drew. Yeah, she had like a Nancy Drew decoder book. It had something to do with figuring out who the Black Hood was because it like revealed that it was Hal. And yeah. then now, and I will say that this, when they did this Tracy True imagery, like with her snooping with the flashlight, they hit some like very like famous poses from like Nancy Drew book covers. Yes. Uh, which was really fun, but it was like, why are we? Why did we decide to go with Tracy True this time and not? Maybe last because time? now that it's some sort of property that's back on the table, they can't just reference it. You know, I don't know because they they were worried know, they'd have to pay them or something. When they, when they do, when when they don't. I mean, that being said, this podcast is brought to you by the new Tracy True book series, Tracy True yeah. and the Case of the Missing Hairpin. Buy it now, mm-hmm. Tracy True and the old time teller and the old time killer time teller i was trying to go with grandfather clock and i then i went with old time teller which was like not clear but i liked it the old time teller you can buy those books for your loved ones today on glamazon (laughs) buy those buy those books on glamazon american excess card use your american excess card on glamazon did you like i liked when veronica was talking about how the movie was going to be in 4d and Dilton mm-hmm. went 4D. You mean the dimension of time? <laughs> <laughs> and then Veronica went, shut up, Dilton. <laughs> I did love that. I was like, you know what? Yeah, no, this is the most realistic to how high school goes. Is yeah, that exactly. Exact moment. Exactly. <laughs> Ew. I loved that so much. I loved the term. When Betty was confronting Dr. Werther's and she called him kissing cousins with Herbert. What's his name again? Herbert Humper. That Humper Dink? Yeah, uh, from Lolita. From Lolita, yeah. I think Humperdink. Yeah. Lolita, at this point, Lolita is like across the board viewed as being a very problematic of its time book, correct? Mm-hmm. It's not... Yes. Because I remember a film adaptation of Lolita happening in the 90s that I watched and thinking it was icky. Yeah. Yeah. And like the fact it's that that happened in the 90s. It's been icky for quite some time. Yeah. It's been icky since it came out. Yeah. But people pretended like it wasn't icky because it was literary. Mm-hmm. Which is I think like. I still do. Yeah. Like I was wondering that. Like in literary circles, do people still read Lolita? It's very, very heavily read. Um like very frequently and there's still i mean there's like whole podcasts about it but it's the lens it's viewed through is different but like right now the lens it's viewed through is the lens of the lens is different like it it went from like people talking about just like a sheer literary sense to being like hypercritical of it to now people being critical of being critical like it's just like kind of folding in on itself the lolita narrative um interesting so, like, people agree that it's icky, but then they're like, but should we be talking about it like it's icky, or should we be talking about it like it isn't? And it's just like, 
fold yeah time is folding in on itself when it comes maybe to we can talk about it like it's a period piece and we've moved forward as a society and that's okay like, yeah but that's the conversation they haven't gone through with it yet <laughs> yeah for sure for sure <laughs> i it feels like they're stretching out this farm reggie veronica ship a little bit mm -hmm. and i hope that it's not that Veronica is leading Reggie on mm -hmm. because I want Veronica and Reggie to be an item because I, I love yeah. Farm Reggie. Farm Reggie is my fave. I love Luke Cafferty Reggie. Yes, he's great. More, I want more Lachlan Monroe in these episodes. This is such he's a good, so good version of Hal, right? He's so good. Yeah, he that, really good scenes with him this week. Very short and sweet. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and then Betty gets disowned, basically, which is just so horrible and so sad. And I, I like portrayals of disownment like this on TV, especially right now, because it sort of creates this um, this sympathy, you know, when so many kids across the country are being kicked out of their homes for being queer. Like, I think this is actually mm -hmm. kind of important representation to have on TV. Even if it's just make your own damn eggs, you know, yeah. which was high camp, which I was into. Mm -hmm. I wonder if Betty can make eggs. Is the I... next episode going to start with her sitting in front of a plate of burned eggs? I hope she can because they are, I don't recall ever being taught how to make eggs personally. There's such a simple thing like at least like a scramble is like so fucking easy yeah that if betty has not figured that out at this point i'm concerned i was taught how to make eggs for sure i was taught how to do it so yeah. i feel like if you watch it enough times you'll like get there yeah <laughs> uh and then you know the only other l few little things i guess the i guess there was a c plot i guess i shouldn't say there wasn't it just was really brief and it was jughead's grief process which I thought was cool. Loved the scene with Betty and Jughead. It felt a little bit like they were back on the case in a way that I really enjoyed. Uh, mm -hmm. I love the dynamic between the two actors. Uh, I, and I do wonder if the reason why they haven't been in this season a lot together is because Lily Reinhardt said, hey, I am having some emotional fallout from dating Cole, who ended up being kind of bad. So yeah. I don't want to work with him a lot and it's certainly a possibility you know yeah and an understandable one too. and completely under oh yeah completely understandable <laughs> yeah oh yeah like, i'm not saying but like how dare she deprive of of, of this <laughs> but yeah that was I, I liked all of that and i really liked the final scene with veronica of her tucking herself in at the babylonium to me that feels very romantic to be living in the projection booth of the movie theater you own, sleeping next to the giant paper mache eyes. Which is, Jughead previously lived in a movie theater. His was a drive-in and he didn't own it, but... Yes, Jughead was experiencing, you know, homelessness. homelessness. Yeah. yeah, this is Which a little I, different. Veronica technically is, but not quite. No, no. Veronica's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Veronica owns the, the, the Palladium now. Yeah. I kind of want to own a movie theater and sleep in the projection booth. I've, I know, it's this, so fun. It seems like really, really beautiful to me. Yeah. yeah. Like a beautiful thing. 
Maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll do that next week. I'll buy a movie theater. And, and you know what? The movie theater in my hometown is like there, but hasn't been open in a few years. And people would really love it if you did. And I think no one would say anything if you live there. They'd just no. be happy to have a movie theater again. Yeah, so. they'd be like, it's Louie, the movie theater man. Yeah. They'd love that. I'd grow a mustache. Perfect. And I'd wear a bow tie. Even better. <laughs> and then we ended on the cliffhanger that Jughead is going to help the police solve this investigation. They need his help. This mm-hmm. suicide, maybe it's not a suicide after all. Wow. Dun, dun, dun. So, yeah. Uh... And that was the episode. Kate didn't love it or wasn't paying major attention, which is Yeah, it was okay. paying major attention. I liked what I saw. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. You didn't hate this episode. I did like this episode. I, I like this season. My mom actually texted me this week and said, why couldn't we have had this writing the whole time? <laughs> I, think, I don't think my mom even listens to the podcast anymore. And that's fine. I get it. Yeah, totally. Well, yep. my mom is still watching and really enjoying this season of Riverdale, and rightfully so. Yes. So who was on your power list? Um, I put Betty, the Lodges, and Veronica, which like almost has to be the case just based on what the episode was. Yeah, mine was really, really similar. Mine was Dr. Werther's, mm-hmm. Veronica, mm-hmm. and Alice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I know. Mm. Mm-hmm. Who was on your crush list? I only have two. Sure. But I have Veronica and Reggie. Cool. I also have Farm Reggie. I'm calling him mm-hmm. Farm Reggie. Okay. And then I have Fangs because okay. I thought that there was sort of a really fun scene with him where he caught his like serpent's tattoo, which I thought was kind of fun mm-hmm. for a 1950s Fangs. And Betty. I liked mm-hmm. Betty. I thought she had some, you know, she was really killing it this episode and was. Such a wonderful, liberated woman. Yeah. So next week, what are we dealing with here? American Graffiti. American Graffiti, a movie by the director of The Phantom Menace, George <laughs> The Lucas. creator of George Jar Binks. Binks. <laughs> George Hermione Lucas. <laughs> Misa, looking forward to, to the episode. Uh. Misa, looking forward to, you say people gonna die in Riverdale? <laughs> Misa, sad. <laughs> oh, Betty. Okay. Yusa, sexually repressed. All right, well, this has been another lovely episode. Uh, apologies for getting, you know, this episode and the last episode out a little late. Uh, it's okay, uh, you know, uh, I screwed up. I, that's completely my bad. And then, you know, our uh, editor, Anjali, was feeling a little under the weather. So we wish her nothing but the best in a speedy recovery. And she rocks. Yeah. So thanks to Anjali Mercado. And thank you to Louis Ronowitz for writing the theme song. Who, I don't know, maybe he was sick. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We're not in, as know. much in touch with him. Yeah, no. We don't know. He could be uh, dead for all we know. He's not. No, but... no, no. He's not dead. We <laughs> wouldn't joke about that. Yeah. We're nice. And Louis's great. We like Louis. Yeah yeah uh yeah um thanks to everybody that's been messaging us and tweeting at us about our episodes and all that kind of stuff like please feel free to keep doing that we're so happy you've been listening along and enjoying what we've been laying down mm-hmm. uh, and on that on that note i'm louis perlman i'm kate batter bye, bye.